Please turn with me in your Bibles to Leviticus 4. Leviticus 4. And this morning we're going to continue our series in Leviticus titled Elementary. Right, we're going back, back to the beginning. Back to, back to uh, yeah, the beginning of Israel, really. And we're going to learn those lessons that God saw fit to teach Israel. What's amazing about that, if you just think about that, is that here we are, we're looking at the same lessons that God's young people, right, freshly rescued of Israel, we're looking at the exact same things that God was showing them. You know, they're different now. We see them through the lens of Christ, and yet they're the same lessons. I think that's so amazing. It's such an amazing thing. And last week we began by looking at what the law teaches us about God. So how many of you tuned in or were on the lawn last week? Yeah. So, so you saw as Levi taught us about the burnt offering. And from that, we, we got to see what God is like. And we saw that he is far holier and far better than we could ever imagine. Far holier and far better. And, you know, just as we sang that, holy, holy, holy. You know, the sermon that we're going to look at today or the text we're going to look at today in a sense, you know, it doesn't mean much if we have not grasped that our God is holy, holy, holy. You know, the world, if somebody's tuning in and they're not a believer and they don't know much about the scriptures, they don't know much about the Christian God, they tune into this sermon and they're going to think we're crazy because they have not seen what our God is like. They have not seen him in his glory. They have not seen him in his goodness. And the God of Israel hasn't changed one bit. We worship the same God. The same God who condescended, right, and and, and made a way so that that Israelites could dwell with him through these sacrifices, right? That was the means God had provided. And now we see in full that they were ultimately pointing to Christ Jesus. The point is, is that God hasn't changed. He's still the same. And this morning, we're going to look at another elementary lesson. We're going to look and see what the law teaches us about sin. We're going to dive into Leviticus 4 to see this lesson fleshed out. And this particular chapter, it deals with the sin offering. So this was the offering that the faithful Israelite would bring after they had realized they had sinned. They'd made a mistake. They'd feel their guilt, know they've done wrong, and they would bring an animal to the tabernacle to atone for their sin. But what's important here and you've got to grasp this, we all have to grasp this, is that these men and women who brought these sin offerings were already part of God's people. They had already taken part of the burnt, in, in, taken part of the burnt offering that we looked at last week. They were in relationship with God. God was showing his people that he is all-knowing, all-wise, and that he foresaw that the Israelites were going to sin while they were in the wilderness. So what he did was give them, give, he gave them an offering so that they could deal with that. Do you remember these words from 1 John? John tells the church this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, Leviticus 4, what we're going to look at today, was teaching the same lesson that John was teaching. And that is that in the Christian life, ongoing confession and repentance are habitual. We're never going to achieve perfection this side of heaven, right? This is an elementary lesson. So though we're declared righteous before God, 
right? If we are in Christ, we are declared righteous. We all know too well that we still battle ongoing sin, right? We still battle that. So God gave this offering to accommodate for our weakness. But God was also teaching his people here that sin doesn't just affect the sinner. Sin spreads. And in this sin offering, we see that sin actually polluted the whole people of God. The whole people of God. Gordon Wenham puts it this way, the purification offering dealt with the pollution caused by sin. If sin polluted the land, it defiled particularly the house where God dwelt. Finally, over the period of a year, the sins of the nation could accumulate to such an extent that they polluted even the holy of holies where God dwelt. So sin is serious business. Sin needs to be dealt with. We can't let it alone, leave it alone, and let it stink, fester, because if we do, it's ultimately going to ruin the people of God. So with these things in mind, look with me now to Leviticus 4. Hear now from the holy, awesome, and necessary word of God. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about things not to be done, and does any, does any one of them, if it is the anointed priest who sins, thus bringing guilt on the people, then he shall offer, offer for the sin that he has committed a bull from the herd without blemish to the Lord for a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord and lay his hand on the head of the bull and kill the bull before the Lord. And the anointed priest shall take some of the blood of the bull and bring it into the tent of meeting. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle part of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of fragrant incense before the Lord that is in the tent of meeting. And all the rest of the blood of the bull he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And all the fat of the bull of the sin offering he shall remove from it, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails. And the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys, just as these are taken from the ox of the sacrifice of the peace offerings. And the priest shall burn them on the altar of burnt offering. But the skin of the bull and all its flesh, with its head, its legs, its entrails, and its dung, all the rest of the bull, he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place, to the ash heap, and shall burn it up on a fire of wood. On the ash heap it shall be burned up. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, as already mentioned, God had prescribed this offering to deal with the ongoing sin of the people of Israel. They were in relationship with the holy, holy, holy God, and therefore they needed a way to deal with the sins that they were bound to commit. So what did this offering look like? Well, last week, if you were with us, right, we we looked at the burnt offering, right? And we saw that the, the worshiper would come, bring the animal, lay its hand on the animal, confess its sin, almost lean into it, kill the animal, and the whole animal was burned on the altar. Leviticus 1.9 says, this brought about a pleasing aroma to God. God was pleased with the offering and accepted the worshiper. Now, the, the, the sin offering that we're looking at today, it differed only after the animal was actually slain. 
and we're going to get into more of that later. The priest would have to do different things with the blood, but again, we'll talk about this after. The, the point is, is that God was teaching important lessons to his people. These, these offerings were more than just animals being slaughtered. They were symbolic of greater things. And our main task today is to see what this Old Testament ordinance teaches us about sin. What it teaches us about sin. And the first thing we learn is that sin separates. Sin separates us from God. It creates a barrier, a chasm between us. Again, that's why this offering was given. Because sinners sin. Right? God is holy, but sinners sin. And, Adam, and just like Adam and Eve, these Israelites were still dealing with the problem that Adam and Eve were way back in the garden. Right? Their hearts hadn't been fully changed. And just as Adam and Eve gave in to sin in the garden and were barred from the presence of God, the Israelites would be so if God didn't give them this offering. Do you remember back in the garden, after Adam and Eve sinned, did God gently walk them out? Right? He said, I hope you enjoyed your stay. Come back next time. No, he drove them out. Sin was so serious that Adam and Eve and the rest of humanity since then have been barred from the presence of God. God blocked up the way back into Eden with the cherubim and a flaming sword because sin separates. Adam and Eve and you and I since then have, as it were, been covered in sin. You know, you ever pull the sticker off of a, of a book, right? The sales tag or whatever. And then you get most of the glue, but some of the glue still remains. And it's like you can just never fully get it off, right? That's like us. Even at the best of times, we're still covered with sin. And God is pure, and he cannot be around that which is impure. Sin separates. And again, that would be us, right? We would be apart from God if not for the sacrifice of Christ Jesus. In our text as well, we see this interesting word, unintentionally. Leviticus uses that word, it says, if anyone sins unintentionally. One commentator points out here, sinning unintentionally could involve two possible scenarios. In the first, sinners are aware of a law, but unaware of breaking it. For example, Israelites might not realize that they were ritually, ritually impure and eat fellowship offering meat. A modern parallel would be overlooking signs and so unwittingly driving the wrong way down a one-way street. In the second scenario, sinners are not aware of the law to begin with. But hear this. In either scenario, however, they are held responsible. In order to atone for their wrongs, sinners must bring a purification offering. There was a fracture in the relationship. That's what happens when sin occurs. We all know that. We all know that in our relationships, right? Husbands and wives here, when you fight, when the husband does something wrong or vice versa, you, you feel that separation, don't you? You feel it. Someone needs to come. Somebody needs to come first and bring about reconciliation. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? Here we see God provided an animal, an animal to, to atone for the sin. Friends, sin is serious business, and it does truly separate us from God. And these seemingly unharmful sins, right, these unintentional sins, even those bar us. Even those separate us from God. The white lies that we think are no big deal. The times that we 
We lie to our boss. We don't tell them the full truth. The harmless gossip. How many of us are guilty of that? Harmless gossip. Or the bad attitude that we carry. We think that these are light. But our text reminds us that God hates all of it. And this brings a fracture to our relationship with God. Sin separates, friends. But secondly, the law teaches us that sin leads to death. To see this, look with me again at our text, beginning in verse 4. It says this, He, that is the priest, shall bring the bull to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord and lay his hand on the head of the bull and kill the bull before the Lord. And the anointed priest shall take some of the blood of the bull and bring it into the tent of meeting. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle part of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of fragrant incense before the Lord that is in the tent of meeting. And all the rest of the blood of the bull he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. You see, after the priest had realized he had sinned, he was to bring that bull, lay his hand on it, say why he was offering it, and sacrifice it. Blood had to be spilled and sprinkled on the veil in order to atone for the sin that separated God and his people. You know, we're to see, we're supposed to see as we read that, that the priest had to go deep into the tabernacle. He had to take blood deep into the tabernacle to atone for sin. Because sin not only separates us, but it actually attracts God's wrath. And that bull, that bull was the one who bore the priests, or bore God's wrath for the priests. He was the substitute. He died so that the priest could live. His life was taken instead of the priest's. Sin kills, friends. Sin leads to death. That is so clear as we read our text. And friends, dwelling with a holy God is scary business. It's scary business because he is holy and he hates sin and we are prone to sin. When God's people sinned, they brought an infestation of impurity upon God's dwelling place. And if an offering wasn't given, if an animal didn't die in the place of the sinner, they were liable to bear God's judgment, judgment which would have been death. One commentator helps us here. He says this, The tabernacle was indeed God's dwelling place among his people. It had to be kept pure from sin if God was to remain there and if the people were not to experience God's wrath instead of his mercy. To have God dwelling in your midst is both a great blessing and a great danger. The danger, of course, springs from man's sinfulness, which always arouses God's wrath. Sin left unchecked attracts God's wrath, and God in his anger and his holiness consumes it. That's why sin leads to death as well. And that's a scary yet necessary truth for us to realize, just as it was for the people of God dwelling in the desert. I mean, picture it. They had just been rescued from the Egyptians. right? They saw this holy God put to shame all of Pharaoh, all his chariots, all his mighty army. And here they are, they're dwelling in the desert, and there's this glorious tabernacle set up. You know, this tabernacle, it was supposed to look like a priest's, or not a priest's, forgive me, a prince's palace. It was glorious. 
And every time a Jew saw that, they said, that's the place where our God dwells. That's the place where our holy God dwells. And he's a God who hates sin. That's a God who pours out his wrath upon sin unchecked. God knew that his people needed to learn that lesson quickly. And so do we. We need to learn that again and again. And friends, this is a good thing. We need to grasp this. We really do. Because we are so afraid at times to talk about the fact that our God is holy. That he can be wrathful. And, and I understand that. I think we, we all get why we're like that. But the reason why God hates sin, the reason why God can't be around it because, is because he is good. It's because he's good. Because God has perfect knowledge and knows that lust unchecked, deceit uninhibited, uninhibited, and pride unconfronted are like wrecking balls that will destroy us. Isn't that true? Haven't you seen that? Haven't you seen in your own life that when you let sin go, it only leads to death? God hates sin because he is life. He's light. He's all that's good. We shouldn't be ashamed of this, that God pours out his wrath on sin. We should glory in this because our God is good. He's holy. He's far better than we can imagine. And he, would, he hates anything that gets in the way of, of, of his creation. He goes to war to defend his creation. And thirdly, we see that, that the law teaches us that sin spreads. Sin is like a contagious disease. It's like COVID or the measles or leprosy. And this sin offering demonstrated this. Look with me to verses 2 and 3. The text says this, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about things not to be done, and does any of them, if it is the anointed priest who sins, thus bringing guilt on the people, then he shall offer for the sin that he has committed a bull from the herd without blemish, excuse me, to the Lord for a sin offering. You have a case where the priest sinned, and as it were, he brought sin upon all of the people. It flowed down towards everyone. Right? His sin didn't simply remain with himself. No, it covered the rest of God's people. Gordon Wenham says this, When the priest sinned, he involved not only himself, but the whole nation. Here we have the idea that one man's action can affect the whole nation. And this truth that sin spreads is fleshed out wondrously in the laws pertaining to leprosy. How many of you have read the laws pertaining to leprosy in Leviticus, right? Maybe you skim those a little bit quicker than the rest of the texts. But in those, those the, the leprosy laws, they were, um, they were referring to various skin diseases that an ancient Israelite could have contracted. And it wasn't, you have to hear this, it wasn't that the leprous person was sinning worse than somebody else. But leprosy, it was a disease that was emblematic of sin and impurity. It was against all that God stood for. So when, when someone contracted a skin disease, skin disease, they were considered unclean. They had to go into mourning. And they were actually kicked out of the camp. They were kicked out of the camp. God would not have, he would not risk having the disease spread to the rest of the people. Really, this was an object lesson. God showing that he is holy and that he cannot be around sin. He 
because sin will inevitably spread to everything. It will lead to death. One writer calls this, calls living with leprosy in the land of Israel a living death. You hear that? A living death. Just like Adam and Eve, right, the leprous person was cast away from the presence of God. Barred from the presence of God. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? I mean, I think the people of Israel would have realized quickly, yeah, sin is serious business. God hates it enough to show us, or that he would show us this way by having a leprous person. We don't know how they contracted the disease, but God would kick them out to teach the rest of the people a lesson. Sin never stands still. It can't be contained. We all know this. We've, done, we've tried to toy with sin, haven't we, at times? We thought we can, we can just let it sit over there. It's not going to spread. I can contain it. But it never works. Sin is a cancer, and if it's not put to death once and for all, it'll lead to death. We know this. Gossip ruins friendships. Gossip can ruin churches. Or how lusting at a computer can lead to a marriage ending. It can lead to a lifelong addiction to a young man or a young woman. Or how a parent's anger can lead to a child growing up and perpetuating that same anger to their children. Some of us have lived that. But this simple yet all-important lesson is one that we can never forget, friends. Sin spreads. And it even spreads in the people of God. People of God and God's freshly rescued people of Israel. They needed to learn this. This is an elementary lesson. Sin can't be toyed with. It separates, it brings death, and it spreads like wildfire. But fourthly and lastly, the law teaches us that not all sins are created equal. Not all sins are created equal. All sin damns us before God, that is true. But some sins are more consequential than others. We know this, right? You open Twitter, or you turn on the TV and you listen to the news, and you see that murder, adultery, trafficking, abuse of different forms, these sins affect people differently than others. They have more dire consequences. And God taught his people this. Did you see how, like, when we first started, I said that this offering differed as to whether, how it was carried out. And it depended on whether you were the priest, whether you were a spiritual leader of the people, or whether you were a common folk. The priest, if he sinned, he had to bring the costliest animal to the tabernacle. Whereas if a lay person did, he had to bring a less costly sacrifice. God was teaching his people that not all sins are created equal. They all damn us before God, but they don't all have the same consequences. You can hopefully recover from porn, but adultery will end your marriage. It'll ruin your family. Think about the man in 1 Corinthians who was sleeping with his mother-in-law. We know that story. This was a serious and gross sin. And it didn't just affect the people involved, no. It affected the whole community. It spread, and it affected their witness. The, the Apostle Paul would say, even the pagans don't approve of what you're doing. Imagine that. Imagine that. That sin was gross, and it had a dire effect on the people of God. 
But the reality is some sins are not as consequential as that. And we have to be able to distinguish between the two. You know, there's going to be times where we're going to be lazy. Or we're going to tell a friend we're going to help them to move and then we forget to. We've all done that, sadly. And those are bad things. I'm not making light of them. But there's a difference between those two, aren't, aren't there? Right? There's a difference between the man or the woman who apparently stole your parking spot out back. Right? Or the person who was clapping off beat and you were really upset about them. Right? We weren't doing too hot eh, during that first song today. I may have been part of the problem. I apologize. <laughs> but as, as a loving family, as the people of God, we need to be able to distinguish between these two. Because I, I, I think that as we read this text, there's room for us to grow in this, to be able to allow for one another to sometimes step on each other's toes. You know, sometimes we're like puppy dogs and we just don't realize that we offended somebody. I know I've done that lots. Or walked away from a conversation because I, I didn't realize the conversation was still going on. Those are things that we can overlook. Those are areas where love will cover those sins, will it not? Because some sins are more serious than others. More consequential. Here we read as well that the sins of the leaders are particularly serious. Again, we see that by the different animals that needed to be brought for the sin offering. Right? The leaders had to bring the most costly of animals in order to atone for their sins because not all sins are created equal. If you remember in First Chronicles, King David, he chose to take a census of the people of Israel. He wanted to get a grasp on all his power Forgive me, all his powerful army. And do you remember what happened? First Chronicles tells us this. God was displeased with this thing. And he struck Israel. And David said to God, I have sinned greatly and that I have done this thing. And God didn't let him off easy. The text tells us the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel and 70,000 men of Israel fell. David's arrogance and complacency brought about the death of 70,000 people. Some sins are more consequential than others. That's what that illustrates. We've seen this in our homes and in our businesses and especially in the church. Sin destroys from the top down. I, I would say how many, how many of you Christians here, you watching from home, have been affected by the news of Ravi Zacharias. Lots of young people I know were. Lots of young people who looked up to him, who saw him as an anchor. They're like, wow, he's teaching me that I can defend my faith with reason. And yet we heard that he had a mighty, mighty fall. And sadly now, he just represents another arrow that the enemies of God can shoot at us with. He's just another example of a, of a leader who didn't take sin seriously and the people hurt big time because of it. And the people of Israel, when they saw that a priest had sinned, right? when they saw that he, he committed a sin, they didn't have to know what it was, but when they saw him take the animal to the tabernacle, confess his sin, lean on the animal, kill it, and then take the blood deep into the tabernacle, they learn the important lesson that not all sins are created equal. Some sins hurt more than others. Some sins hurt more than others. 
And friends, this is a lesson for us today. You know, we need to take leadership. We need to take it in whatever form we carry it very, very carefully, very seriously. You know, in our homes, we have to be godly parents. Maybe some of you aren't parents. I'm not a parent. But maybe we're aunts and uncles, grandparents. We have to be those who train and teach our little ones to grow up in the Lord, to love righteousness, to hate sin. We've got to teach them the five G's of the gospel. We've got to do these things. And as our text reminds us, we've got to be men and women who repent quickly as well. That's what the priest was supposed to do. The text tells us when he realized his guilt, he was supposed to go. He wasn't supposed to wait two weeks, wait for a more opportune time. No, he was supposed to go to the tabernacle to go get right with God. Not all sins are created equal. And, and for those of us who, who have younger ones under us, and for our leaders like Levi and the elders, right? Certain people, when they sin, the consequences are great. And it's a sad but firm and harsh truth, and we have to grasp that. But friends, I would hate to leave off today on that sad note, because I think, you know, when I think of the book of Leviticus, I think of grace. But most people don't, right? Most people don't. They think of Leviticus and they go, I don't want to look at that book again, right? I made it through last year. I don't want to read it again this year. But friends, we got to remember that when God gave this sin offering to his people, he was being so gracious and condescending. Here was a God who loved his people, who had just rescued them, and he foresaw that they were going to fall short many, many, many times. But he provided a way that they could continually well with him. God loved his people, so he gave them this sin offering. And, and if we left this morning and we didn't see that, we would miss out so much. Do you see God's love for his people here? Do you see that? How God accommodated his people? How God condescended towards them? Sin angers God. My sin, your sin, it angers him. But he has made a way for our fractured relationship to be healed. And friends, when we, as we are New Testament, or we're Christians now, and, and we, Jesus has already gone to the cross on our behalf, we see that this offering was pointing to Jesus. Jesus is your sin offering. Jesus is my sin offering. Jesus didn't just pay for the sins that we committed last year, or forgive me, prior to salvation. No, Jesus paid for all of our sin. All of it he paid for. But no, we don't have to go and offer a bull in, in, in when we sin. No, all we have to do is come back to the Father confessing our sin. And that's why John gave these precious words. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's good news. Jesus is your sin offering. He's my sin offering. God is holy and sin is awful, but God has made a way so see the cross, friends. See the cross for your former sins, the sins you committed yesterday, and the sins that you're going to commit this week. See the cross and see that's where they were all paid for. But also, glorify God by taking sin extra seriously. Remember what Paul said in Romans. He said, shall we sin so that grace shall abound? Because by no means... 
You know, we've seen Christ on the cross. We've seen the cost of our salvation. And when we've tasted that, when we've got a glimpse of that, the right response is to say, I never want to go back. I never want to go back to those things that only brought death and ruin. Take sin seriously. Where sin once abounded, put in, the, in place of that, put in righteousness. Fill up your life with the love of good things. Don't give sin an inch. Don't give it an inch. If it's an addiction you're dealing with, find a way to be removed from those situations. Throw out the phone. If it's gossip, stop it. If it's a bad attitude about your workplace, whatever it may, stop. Repent quickly. Because God hates sin, and sin only leads to death. And we have a great Savior who has died for our, for our sin. And he's filled us with the Holy Spirit so we would go and sin no more. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your word. And Lord, we thank you that these elementary lessons, Lord, are lessons that we never graduate from. It is always helpful always beneficial to see again the, the reality of sin, how it, how it brings death and ruin. And yet, Lord, we see in this offering, God, that you are a gracious, condescending God. So we ask now that we would glory in Christ, that we would trust in him, his sacrifice, with all our might, that we would loathe sin, cling to righteousness, and live lives that are pleasing unto you. For your name's sake and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. What well, would you stand with us?